gospel. Our text this morning is Joshua chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in verse 43 and read verses 43, 44, and 45. Joshua chapter 21. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. I love that last verse especially. I'm going to have to say it has really been uh, on my heart and mind over these past days. As we've been looking at the book of Joshua, we started in Joshua 1 and we've seen the, the time that Joshua and the children of Israel are going through. There's certainly some similarities for us as a church in a time of transition and a time of uh, looking to the future and seeing what God has for us. And we certainly are blessed by uh, the promise that God's work is still God's work, that the task before us remains the same, that our God remains the same. I've been blessed this morning, I know you have, as we have sung songs that praised and exalted an unchanging God. Aren't you glad that God is the same yesterday, you know, say it with me, today and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is an unchanging God. And as we think about the truths and we see the children of Israel, they have crossed over the River Jordan. They've conquered Jericho. They've faced and dealt with sin with Achan and his family. And then they begin in chapters 10 and 11 the great task of fighting the battles. Everybody wants to achieve victory. Everybody wants to experience victory, but they don't want to fight the battles to get there. We're sort of that way in every area of our life. We want to accomplish the task. We want the end, but we don't want the means to get there. We all want to be fit and trim and in good shape, but none of us want to push back from the table or exercise in order to get to that place. Most of us, when we were in school, couldn't wait to graduate. We wanted to graduate. We just didn't want to have to take the test and do the homework to get there. You, see, you know what I'm saying? We all want to be spiritual giants. We want to be spiritually mature. We want victory, but we don't want to put in the effort that it takes to get there. And it took fighting a lot of battles. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 18, it says that Joshua fought the kings for many years. A lot of battles, a lot of fighting going on. And the Christian life at times may seem like one continuous battle of one type or another. We're battling sin. We're battling for the souls of people. We're battling for the souls of those that we care about, family members and friends. We're going through one struggle and one challenge, and I'm glad that God brings the victory. And in that victory, there's a key word that is used in Joshua chapter 21, and it's the word inheritance. You'll remember that when God spoke to Joshua in chapter 1, way back that we looked at uh, several months ago even, and he spoke and he said, I'm going to be with you where, wherever, soever you go. Everywhere you, the, 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 foot, the sole of your foot treads upon, that's given to you. And you are going to go in, and you're going to conquer the land, and you're going to divide the land. 
You see, this land did not belong to the Canaanites. This land did not belong to the Israelites. This land belonged to God. This was God's land. And these people who had lived there for the 400 plus years that Israel has been away were simply um, interlopers who were not supposed to be there and they had lived very wickedly. God had given them plenty of opportunities to repent and their iniquity had come to the full, the Bible says. So now it's time for God to give this inheritance to his people. And so this task that God has given to Joshua, I love that when he says to Joshua, Joshua, you're going to take them across Jordan, you're going to go in and you're going to take the land, and then you're going to divide the land. The final stage of the task, the mission that God has given to Joshua, the final stage is this division, this giving of the inheritance that is going to take place. And over the next chapters from chapter 13, all the way to where we read this morning in chapter 21, is the story of God dividing the inheritance. This tribe gets this portion. This tribe gets this portion. And it's really pretty well laid out. God had already given the the plan to Moses. Moses passed it on to Joshua. And Joshua just simply does what God has told him directly to do and God has told him through Moses to do. The word inheritance is a concept that is carried over into the New Testament understanding and it's used to describe the riches and the inheritance that we have in Christ. Our inheritance is not a piece of real estate in the Middle East. Our inheritance is far greater and far better. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are excited about the material blessings that God has given to them. But there's something far greater and far more important because there are many believers in this world who have not experienced material blessings. They've not experienced the the wealth that we enjoy here in the United States. Now, I know most of us would probably not feel like we're wealthy, but we're, all things considered, probably among the wealthiest 1% or 2% in the whole world. We have been blessed in a lot of ways with physical material blessings. And we look at that as a gift from God, and God has certainly made it possible, and He meets our needs, and I'm glad that He does, but there's something that's of greater wealth, and that is the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul is going to pray in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm praying for you believers at Ephesus. Not I'm praying that your bills will be paid, and I'm praying that you will be physically well, and That's not his prayer request. He says, I'm praying that you may know that God may make clear to you the wealth of the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. The most important thing Paul could think of that he wanted the believers to know was that they were wealthy in Christ. Why is it so important for us? Why is it necessary for us to know that we have wealth in Christ? Is simple knowledge enough? Well, It's a powerful knowledge. It is a knowledge that will protect us from the temptation of sin. To know what we have in Jesus Christ. To know the wealth. When I realize all that I have in Jesus, when I realize who Jesus is to me, and when I realize the the glory of the wealth of my inheritance in Christ, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The things and the allure of this world, the the siren call of this world that says, here, this is something that you want, this is something that you need. 
If Achan could have only seen the wealth of the inheritance that Christ, that God had for him in the land of Canaan, he would have said, this clothe, these clothes and this gold are nothing. And if we could only see the wealth that we have in Christ, the temptations of this world would seem like nothing. It is the glory of the message of the gospel and the glory of God's grace and the glory of our inheritance in the saints that motivate us to the gospel. John Murray, a writer of some time ago and pastor, said that the passion for missions dies when the grandeur of the gospel is lost. When the glory and the grandeur and the vastness of all that is given to us by the grace of God is lost, it loses that fuel and passion for the work of missions and sharing the gospel. So knowing our inheritance, in fact, throughout the Old New Testament, listen to some of these verses. Acts 20, 32, Paul says that we have been given an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Every person who is, a, is saved, every person who is a child of God has this inheritance. Then chapter 26 and verse 18 of Acts, we have an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. Galatians 3.18 says the inheritance is given by the promise. Ephesians 1.11, we have ob obtained an inheritance according to God's purpose and His will. Ephesians 1.14 that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. Ephesians 1.18, that we may know the glory, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3, Paul again speaks of our inheritance. Into the book of Hebrews, says we have an eternal inheritance. And then I love 1 Peter 1.4, that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the blessedness of our inheritance. And it's over and over again. This is not just something that the New Testament alludes to. This is something that he says is key to our understanding of who we are in Christ and all that we have in Christ. I long for our students to, to grasp that what we have in Christ is far better than anything this world offers and the students grow into adults that are feeling the same pull. What is it that makes us feel like, oh, this is more important? Why do we get our priorities out of order? Because we think something is of more value than, our, than what we have in Christ. We think this is more important. This is more valuable. This is more essential. And there is nothing that is more essential to our lives, then our fellowship and our walk with Jesus Christ and all that we have in Him, our inheritance. As we look through this section, and we're not going to take the time this morning, I'm not going to read all nine chapters, so whew, sigh of relief. But these nine chapters, eight or nine chapters of dividing the inheritance, are pretty straightforward. But scattered throughout, there's several differences, there's several variations, there's several exceptional cases that I want to draw our attention to this morning. Because the Bible says that the things from the Old Testament are given for our admonition. And if they were a challenge to the children of Israel enjoying and experiencing 
their inheritance then, then I believe that there's some warnings and admonitions for us. What is it that's keeping us from enjoying our Christian life? You know, I'm, I'm always amazed at what blesses some people, and some people just look like their blessers broke. They look like you could just, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't move them with a stick of dynamite. And one person can hear a song or hear a, a truth from Scripture and it blesses them and they walk out of a service or they walk out of the presence of God and they've, they've experienced that and then others could care less. What is the difference? It is the enjoyment, it is the understanding, it is the experience of our inheritance in Christ. So what are these dangers? I want you to see several of these. We won't take the time to look at chapter 13, but in chapter 13, there are two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel who have asked Moses, Moses, we've looked around and we have a lot of herds, and so there's a lot of grassland on the eastern side of Jordan, and we want to stay over here. We want to be on this side of the Jordan. Now, understand, if you'll remember that the only way they got across Jordan was a miracle of God. So it's not easy to travel back and forth between the eastern side and the western side. There's no bridges. There's no ferries. There's no boats to get across. There's, there's no way to get across. It's a very challenging river to cross. But we want to go over. And Joshua and Moses said, well, if you'll come over and you'll fight, help us take the land, you can have this land. That was not God's original plan. God's intent, God's purpose was for them to all be together. And when they've chosen to be on the other side of the river, we see here the danger of living on the edge. There are those who are not experiencing and enjoying their inheritance in Christ because they've chosen to live on the edge. Someone recently described it as the kingdom of one foot, one foot in the world and one th foot in the, in the things of God. That's the, that's the danger. And what happened over time? As they separated themselves, they separated themselves from being a part of God's work. They're no longer part of God's plan. God's at work in the, in the nation of Israel. They're living on the other side. And at first it seemed like they're, they're going to stay connected. We're going to stay close. You see, there's a danger in living on the edge. Living as close as we can to the world. What happens if you live on the edge long enough? You're eventually going to go over the edge. There's a great story Years ago, a man was a wealthy man was going to hire a chauffeur, and his question was, "You're driving along a mountain road, and you come around a sharp curve. And there's no guardrail there. How close could you drive to the edge, and without without going over? How close would you be able to safely drive near the edge?" And one said, "Well, I could probably stay within two foot." And another said, "One foot." And the third man was the man that got the job. He said, I'm going to stay as far away from that edge as I possibly can. And in our Christian life, we're often, it's often like we're trying to see how close to the edge. They separated themselves from what God was doing. God's purpose was not for two and a half tribes to be on the eastern side. God's purpose was for all 12 tribes to be in the land of Canaan where he wanted them. They, sep they separated themselves. They're no longer part of God's worship. The temple and the tabernacle are going to be on the western side of the river. They're going to be in Jerusalem eventually. And that is where the worship takes place. But what has happened is they have put a barrier between themselves and the worship of God. And perhaps at first they said, we'll cross over. We'll make the, 
We'll make the difference. We'll, we'll put forth the extra effort to make sure that we're there for worship. But what tends to happen when you are pulled between Christ and the world? Let me tell you that most every time, I would say probably, I, I can't think of an exception, but I'm going to allow for a possible exception. Nearly every time I've seen the world win. Be careful the barriers that you put between you and the things of God. Be careful the challenges. You see, it looked, it made sense. Hey, we've got herds. We need grass. Here's grassy areas that we can feed our herds. We can survive. We can, we can become wealthy. We can accomplish these great things. I remember a number of years ago when I was a teenager, we were in revival in a church, and there was a young man there that was really on fire for God. He was there every service. He felt that God had called him to preach. I don't know that I've seen many young people, and he was just about my age at the time. I've not seen many that had that heart for God that he had. A year later, we were back for the revival the next year, and he didn't show up. He was there for Sunday morning, and he slipped out very quickly, and then he wasn't there the rest of the time. And we asked the pastor, where is, what's, what's the deal with him? Where is he? He said, you pray for him. He got a lucrative job making good money, but in order to do so, he has to miss church nearly every service. Now, let me tell you what happened in that young man's life. That young man put the Jordan River between him and the worship of God. He started to live on the edge. Oh, he thought he'd make the extra effort. He'd be there. But you know what? It became harder and harder. And it wasn't long till the next year we went, and this young man had completely not only gotten out of church, but gotten away from God. Was not even serving God and preaching the gospel wasn't even on his mind. All he could think about was making money, owning possessions, and enjoying the things of this world. You see, to the secular mind, to the worldly mind, it makes perfect sense to live on the other side, to live on the edge. It makes perfect sense to put that barrier between us and the worship of God, the danger of living on the edge. We don't find anything about them much again. We see them occasionally until we come to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. And they are carried away in captivity with the northern tribes of Israel because the Bible says that they had gone, they had committed spiritual adultery with other gods. That's the end result of living on the edge. So the danger of enjoying, let me tell you that Christ has given us a great inheritance. We have great wealth in him. We have all that we need in him. But don't miss out on your inheritance because you're trying to live on the edge. There's another warning in this passage, and we see this about four or five places throughout. And this is not a warning against someone who does wrong. It's something that God establishes to keep them from doing that, and that is the tribe of Levi. Now, you understand that the tribe of Levi were the ones who served in the temple. They were the tribe that the priests came from. Not every Levite was a priest, but every priest had to come from the tribe of Levi, and the Levites served in the temple. And God established something unique for them. Four times, or five times in this section, he says something to this effect, that they didn't get a portion of inheritance because their inheritance was the sacrifice of God in one place. 
this, their inheritance was the priesthood in another place. And then in a third place, they says they did not get an inheritance because their inheritance was the Lord himself. No greater inheritance looking forward to the spiritual priesthood of the New Testament when our inheritance is the Lord himself. What does God do? God saves them from a dual distraction that is a danger for believers. The first is the danger of being distracted by this world. What was the job of the priests? The Levites and the priests were supposed to teach God's word. They were supposed to teach God's law to the people. Why? So they could obey it and keep covenant with God. Over time, we know that in the nation of Israel, they failed. Because the people of Israel would go into idolatry time and time again. But their job was to do that. They were to serve. They were to minister among the people. And they were to teach God's law to his people. In fact, there are times when they'll read the law later on. One of the kings is reading the law and he's like, wow, I didn't know we were supposed to have the Passover. We're supposed to do that every year. We haven't had Passover in years. Let's, get a, let's have a Passover. They were shocked because they weren't aware of what was going on. But God's design and God's plan was not for them to have one location. That's the danger of isolation, where we become so secluded in our Christianity. We become so secluded in our world that we have no connection with those that it is our responsibility to reach. On the other hand, he says, you're not going to just be dispersed broadly among the people. You're going to have cities throughout the land. And so there's the danger of being distracted. If they're living out among the people before long, they get caught up in the cares of the world and the cares of the people. God says, I want you to be out. I want you to avoid the danger of being secluded. I don't want you just to get together on Sunday morning in your holy huddle and everything's together and you just sort of sit around and wait for the Lord to come back. I want you to be out among the, the world. I want you to be sharing the word. I want you to be proclaiming the gospel. But at the same time, I don't want you to be so caught up in the world. I want you to be in your cities. I want you to stay close to me. Do you feel that tension in your life? The tension between being, I'm, I'm just caught. I remember hearing a, a friend of mine who said he realized after several years of being saved that he no longer had any unbelieving friends. Now, it is certainly a blessing to be connected with our church family. It is a blessing to be connected with other believers. But then who are we to share the gospel with? That's why God said, I want you, here's what I want you to have. Your inheritance is me. I want you to live in these cities so you'll be close to the people that you need to be a part of, but you'll also be close together to draw strength. Don't miss the inheritance. Don't miss the wealth of your inheritance because of these dangers. Here's another great story in chapter 17. Another exceptional case. There's a group of ladies here, and they are identified as the daughters of Zelophehad. Now, I have to admit, when I was growing up, I don't know that I ever heard a lesson or a sermon on the daughters of Zelophehad. But these ladies are put here specifically because there's an interesting story that takes place. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, they come to, uh, Numbers actually, they come to Moses. And they said, um, Moses, we know that in our law and in our culture, the inheritance is passed uh, to the son. But our father died and he didn't have any sons. And so um, we 
think we should get the inheritance. We should get that part of the inheritance. And so Moses talks to the Lord, and the Lord says, yeah, I want you to make that part of the law that when there's no son, to, there's no heir to receive it, the, the, the daughters can receive it just like the sons can, can receive the inheritance. And all these years later, all these years, they've been waiting right along with Joshua and Caleb who waited 40 years. And these ladies come to Joshua as they're dividing the land up and they're spreading the land out. And they said to him, look, um, we, we're getting ready to claim a promise of God. God's the one that said, we get this land. God told Moses, you see what they're doing? They are coming and they are asking based on a promise of God. Book of James says, you have not because you ask not. There's the danger of not asking. We have all this great inheritance in Christ, but if we don't avail ourselves to it, if we don't ask and say, God, here's what I need. God, I need grace for this moment. I need peace during this time. I need these things. You have not because you ask not. And here's these Dear ladies who come to Joshua and they've remembered this promise and they've been holding on to the promise, this grace from God that has carried them through, that there is going to be this inheritance. And they say, hey, (laughs) we want our inheritance. God wants all of his people to enjoy our inheritance in Christ. But we have to ask. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Remember that passage? Jesus says, if one of you having a son, the son comes to you and says, hey, can I have a piece of bread? He doesn't give him a scorpion. He doesn't give him a snake. He gives him bread. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is not evil, who is perfect, who is loving, who is gracious, who is kind, how much more will he give? those that ask him. The danger of not asking. What have you asked and trusted God for? What are you trusting him for? What promises are you claiming? In chapter 17, I do want you to see these verses. Look in chapter 17. Here's a fourth exceptional case. And this is the danger of self-importance, the danger of pride. The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I'm a great people? Boy, there's a great humility there, isn't it? Do you see the the self-importance? We're a great people. We deserve more. As For as much as the Lord has blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get up to the wood country and cut down for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. I love what Joshua says. You see, what's interesting here is, is that Joshua is from their tribe. Joshua is of these people. This is, his, this is his family. This is his tribe. And they come and they say, Joshua, we deserve more. We're a great people. And Joshua says, if you're so great, then do it yourself. Now, I know none of us, we're all too spiritual to say something like that. But I believe Joshua may have picked up a little snark from Jehovah. Remember what God told, Je- told Joshua? Joshua's down praying. Joshua, get up off your face and deal with your sin. Here, Joshua says, look, if you think you're so great, do something about it. These people will constantly give problems. They cause problems for Gideon in Judges chapter 8. They give problems for Jephthah in chapter, Judges chapter 12. And even David 
leader will face problems. Isn't it interesting that the people who, who gripe the most tend to do the least? I won't say that another time, but some of y'all need to hear that. Sometimes, generally, the people who do the least gripe the most. I'll say it backwards is what I did, but make sure you heard it. God, you didn't give me enough. The problem is self-importance. All of these things will keep us from enjoying the inheritance. So I'll close with this. Here is a person who avoided all the dangers, who demonstrated humility and patience and satisfaction. And it's the text that we read at the beginning. Joshua. Joshua demonstrated humility. Joshua is the last one of the nation to get his inheritance. Joshua had waited the longest. Joshua was the leader that God had chosen. Joshua says, I'll get mine when mine's time. Humility. Patience. I can wait. Joshua had waited for 40 years. 40 years since he and Caleb had said, yeah, the giants are big, but God is bigger. I just picture, I don't know, I may have said this before, but I, I sort of picture two old men standing on top of the mountain. You know, remember Caleb came? Caleb said, Joshua, give me that mountain. You remember that mountain that we said, they said, couldn't be taken? That's the one I want. Here's an 80-something-year-old man taking the hardest place in the whole country, fighting the biggest people in the whole country, and he takes it. I love that story. But I sort of picture Joshua and Caleb, two old guys in their robes with their, their towels around their head or whatever they had on their head. They put towels on us when I was a kid in Bible programs. And I can just see them up on top of the mountain doing the na 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 dance. None of y'all would ever do that. I know you're spiritual, but I would. Pastor Jeremy would. He joined me in it. Hey, maybe we need to, Pastor James, we could do that as a, as a, a skit sometime, a presentation. We'll put on the robes and we'll do the Joshua and Caleb dance. Forty years, the patience and then the satisfaction. Do you see that final phrase? The final, final work over in chapter 21, verse 45. There failed not all of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Are you enjoying the inheritance of Christ? There was a man that lived in New York City back about 120, 130 years ago by the name of John Wendell. John Wendell was called the recluse of Wall Street. He had five sisters. They had received an inheritance from their parents from real estate. They were exceptionally wealthy, but they lived as paupers. They were, he was so afraid that the money would be dispersed and that they would lose the money that he browbeat his sisters into never marrying. All five of them, all six of them lived in this, what would be considered at the time a mansion, but sort of a small building compared to the mansions of, of today. And he, now he gave to some charities. He was generous in some ways, but they, they only gave to the charities that suited them. His sister, when she was the last one to die in 1914, she owned one dress, the dress that she wore. She had worn it for 25 years, and it was one that she made herself. 
His wealth when he died was what would be billions of dollars today, but was his, his wardrobe was just uh, like a few hundred dollars, and there was no electricity in the house. And finally, one of the sisters did get married when she was 62, and I guess by then it was too late to worry about children getting the inheritance. And she went to church and met the pastor's friend, and they got married. And so John forbade the rest of his sisters from ever going to church again. He was afraid they might meet somebody and get married. Here was a group of people, here was a family that had such great wealth at their disposal that could have been used not greedily, but could have been used generously. They could have even been enjoying some of it. My word, I mean, surely you can, you know, get a good lighting system in the house or do do something to enjoy it. When they died, there were no descendants and the wealth, the inheritance was dispersed without them. And I wonder how many Christians of us are going to stand before God. And God's going to say, here's the great inheritance. Here's the great blessings you had in Christ. And you went through your life as a pauper. You lived your life as a spiritual pauper, living in poverty. Here's your inheritance. My prayer for us this morning is Paul's prayer. I pray that God will make known to us the riches of the glory of his inheritance in Jesus Christ. What's keeping you from enjoying your inheritance? Are you living on the edge? Is it pride? Is it simply because you have not asked? We are wealthy in Christ. Let's live like it. Father, I pray this morning. I pray for brothers and sisters that are going through life struggling, and Lord, there will be struggles and challenges in this life. Lord, they're not enjoying the blessedness of Jesus. Help us, Father. I pray for those in this congregation that are living on the edge. They're not enjoying Jesus because they enjoy the world too much. Lord, call them back this morning from the edge. Father, for those that pride is hindering, self-importance is hindering, Lord, I pray that you will bring humility. Lord, for those that you have the access and the, the wealth available, help us, Lord, to call out to you. Lord, I pray that there's not one here that will continue to go through the struggles and trials of this life without calling out for your help, the grace that is sufficient. Father, I pray that you will speak to us this morning. We pray.